For anyone out there who has ever given up something for God, something that meant a lot to them, or who has ever had to sacrifice something that you've held really dear for Him, or who has maybe had to give up potential love interests and relationships for the sake of following Christ as best you can, this one is for you. And this one, I, I hope it speaks to your heart because it's from my heart. I want to tell you about the hardest breakup that I've ever had, why it hurts so much and why it was worth it and why I continue to make that choice every day to not go back to that relationship or any other relationship that may get in the way of pursuing Christ, why it's worth it and why yours was worth it as well. So the hardest breakup I've ever had was with someone, I'm just going to call him Bob, and to all the Bobs out there who are listening, I'm so sorry. This name just popped into my head. It's it's just like the easy one, you know, I'm sorry. So Bob was all in all to me, and when I met him, I believed I had found the one. I adored him. He was the best I've ever had in every single way. I fell so hard, I was in love. It felt like for the first time... You know, sometimes, I don't know, like maybe you have or have not had that experience, but sometimes you just meet someone and you're like, O-M-G. I was like, God has finally heard me and sent him the right guy, Mr. Right. And I was the happiest I'd ever been in my life. And he was, he was the sun, moon, and stars to me. And yet, uh, here I find myself on this December 20th of 2020, very much single, And I mean, I'm kind of like, why? Why am I single? And I still think about that. (laughs) I ask myself every day. But the reason that Bob and I broke up is because we disagreed on morals. Um, He was okay with waiting for marriage to have sex, but there were other topics on which we disagreed. You know, oral sex, uh, sending nudes, pornography, mutual masturbation. And, uh, you know, all of those things like... I mean, Christianity is like, it's kind of nice because the teachings are pretty clear on a lot of these things, right? So the thing is, we had already made some sexual mistakes. We had already fallen in that way, which made it a million times harder to backtrack and be like, look, Bob, I love you, but I cannot continue in this way. And he was kind of like, well, what's the big deal? Because I mean, you already have. You've already given that up. And I was like, oh, that is a really good point. But at the same time, just because I do something bad once, like it doesn't, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for bad behavior. It's not like, you know, like I fall. So I'm just going to sit in the ground, on the ground, in the dust for the rest of my life. Like, no, the point of being a Christian and being forgiven is that you're given an opportunity to stand back up again with nothing, with nothing lost and everything to gain, you know, because Christ has forgiven you and start over. Um, but you really have to do it with uh, a whole heart, right? Like it can't be a half-assed start over. Like you really got to start over. So anyways, he viewed our falls as not problematic at all. He viewed them as like fantastic, you know, which they were in many ways. Like, I mean, you know, sexuality is a really great thing and it's really difficult to wait for marriage. It really is. Um, I will just, I, I can testify. <laughs> um, but I viewed them as like, okay, this is something that is making it hard to look God in the face when I pray. It's making it, I, 
I know that I'm worthy of better than this. You, Bob, are worthy of better than this, of like a love that waits, you know? And that will be a whole nother podcast of like why we should even wait. What's the point of waiting, right? Because I I know all the arguments, right? Like, I mean, but we love each other and like we got to test the car and like all the things. Okay, all right, we will address those. But that is not this day in the words of Aragorn. And now I just revealed myself as a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. Okay. So at any rate, um, Bob just felt that I was being selfish, you know, being uncompromising. And it hurt. It really hurt because I loved him. Like I would have given anything for him. But what I told him was I like I I can compromise. Like you want to paint the walls green and yellow? Fine. Like, let's do it. You know, like ugly, gross, but sure. And like, I don't care whose house we go to for the holidays. But that this is not like all of those things are mine to give and to take and to compromise on or to not compromise on. But the thing is, when it comes to right and wrong, that is not mine. I don't decide that. I didn't write the rules, you know? And and anyone who's a Christian, like, well, you didn't write the rules either. The rules are there. And I don't pretend to like them all the time and to find them easy or comfortable, but I see the reasoning behind them, you know? And I, I do believe, like, if you don't understand what you're doing and if you don't, if you question it, like, well, by all means, continue to question it. Try to understand it. Don't be that person who does something just because you were raised in such and such a way or you were told something. Like, no, you need to dig. You need to find out the reason why you're living the way you're living so that you can be strong when someone presents a challenge to that, you know? So at any rate, one of the things that Bob brought up that made it especially difficult is he's like, well, you know, this isn't like going all the way, right? Like we're not, we're just, you know, fill in the blank, blah, blah, blah. You can imagine, right? And I was like, look, I understand that, okay? I'm not dumb. Stealing is stealing, right? But there, there is a difference between robbing a bank and taking a candy bar from the gas station. And they're both like somehow they're different. They're the same and yet they're different. And so like I told him, I understand we're not going all the way. I understand, you know, like it's not as bad as it could be or like whatever nonsense, you know, but it doesn't sit well with me, right? Like this is not who I am. This sort of behavior in general is not who I am. It's not who I want to be. And because who I want to be is a Christian, right? With my values and the way that I give and receive love formed by Christ and his teachings. And this does not sit well with any of those things. And so like, I can't, and again, like, I'm so sorry, Bob, because I love you. And like, please stay with me. (laughs) And so all of our discussions came down to the moment when he asked me, it sounds like you're drawing a line in the sand. Are you? And I said, and it nearly killed me. Yes. And with all of my heart and my soul, I was begging and wishing him inwardly to step over that line and to continue on with me, to wait with me. And like, you know, we had both made mistakes. We had both made, you know, sexual mistakes with with each other, with other people. But like, you know, again, the beauty of Christianity is that even Jesus under his cross Uh, which symbolizes humanity and all of the difficulties and temptations we face, he fell under the weight of that. And so like when we fall under the weight of our crosses, um, he's not 
he's not not understanding of that, you know, he knows. And that's why he gave us that example of himself falling three times, you know, like again and again and again in the story of the passion of the Christ. Or if you watch the movie, you see him like taking these massive falls and he did not like run under that cross, like up the hill to Calvary, like a champion, you know, like with music and trumpets, like, no, it was a freaking struggle. And I think he, he gave us that example of himself to show us, like, I get that it's really hard for you as humans. And, you know, Christ, the amazing thing about him is that he took on our humanity, you know, and that's why we have this example. Um, so anyways, back to Bob and I, um, Bob said no, and I will never forget that moment. Um, and it, it cost me everything. And it, in many ways, continues to cost me. Because, you know, time heals, right? Like, you can get over the person. But um, you're still faced with the consequences of your choice. And had I not chosen Christ that day... Um, I I may be married by now, you know, I may, I may not be lonely and single in my apartment during the holidays, right? Like nobody wants that. Um, I might have kids. I might, you know, be with the love of my life in the Bahamas, who knows? And so, yeah, I wish that it was so simple and so easy as, you know, when you choose for Christ, it's like a one-time thing, right? Like they just, it's a one-time martyrdom. Like you just chop it off, amputate it, whatever, and then it's a one and done. But sometimes it has consequences and you really, you have to re-choose and remake that sacrifice that you've made for him or that you've chosen for him every day. You know, when you choose not to contact that person, when you choose not to go out on that date that you know is only going to lead to, you know, whatever. And I will say for myself, I, I continue to live out those consequences. I have yet to meet someone who I loved like that, like Bob. Um, in my darkest moments, I wonder if I ever will. I wonder if that was my chance at earthly happiness. Um, it cost me, it cost me something. It cost me everything. And I will say Bob was the best thing that I felt I had in my life besides my relationship with my father with God. And, um, I told him that. Um, and so for anyone who's ever made a similar decision or sacrifice and just find that or found that it cost you a lot, maybe more than you expected, maybe continues to cost you, um, just know, like, I feel you and you're not necessarily doing anything wrong. That's just the reality of being a Christian and not half-assing it. So what I want to tell you about now is, um, I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast, the mountain that Jesus was tempted on. Um, and this is the mountain that he was led to by the Holy Spirit after he had fasted for 40 days. And he was freaking hungry and thirsty, much like myself uh, when it comes to finding that lasting and true love and that relationship with that person with whom you can really build something beautiful. 
Um, so he was so hungry, so thirsty, and then he went to the top of this mountain and the devil offered him everything right before his eyes. He offered him food. He offered him power. He offered him glory. He taunted him. Um, he threw everything he had at Jesus, hoping that just one of his arrows would hit the mark. And Jesus would be like, you're so right, devil. Like, I just really do want some bread. And like, that is all I've ever wanted. And you are the bread provider. And like, give me some bread. And of course, all of these temptations, they weren't at the beginning when Jesus started fasting, you know, when he was still like feeling kind of good. It was at the end, right? It's at the very weakest. It's always at your lowest points that the devil like comes at you when you're like super lonely, super sad. And then he's like, hey, like Bob's just one phone call away. Like you want to be loved, you know? So anyways, I digress. Um, But here's the interesting thing that I just learned. The mountain on which Jesus was tested actually has another and much more ancient name. It's called Mount Quarantania, the mountain of quarantine, because quarantine is a type of test in the most traditional sense. When people entered quarantine in olden times, it was a period through which they had to pass to be found clean of whatever disease was potentially a threat. So quarantine means literally a place where people are led from elsewhere to be tested, tested by time, and hopefully to be found clean. Um, And in our case, you know, nowadays from disease, but on a deeper level to see if you can pass that time of, of temptation. And so as we know, Jesus passed that test and was found worthy. And it was only then that he really began his his public ministry. He told the devil essentially, no devil, like worship the Lord, serve only him. I see what you are offering me. I see that it's everything. I see that it is everything in the whole world. And that's what you're handing to me. And that's what I felt with Bob, that like, here is everything I've ever wanted in my entire life. And I want it so badly. I want it so badly. But Jesus was like, this is not what I was made for. I was made for higher things. I serve a higher power. And that's what I had to remember on that day when I walked away from Bob. Um, I was, there's a part of me that is made for you know, love and embraces and all of these things. But at the end of the day, these things do fail. They do come to an end. And at the end of the day, what I was made for is for God and to be in relationship with him, to be in authentic relationship with him, which requires total trust and total commitment and and not looking back. And again, what I want to reiterate is that making that choice for God, for Christ, and to follow him and to be called a Christian, to take on his name, may cost you some temporary happiness. And by temporary, I mean anything from minutes to years. Um, But what it will most definitely bring you is deeper wholeness and a deeper relationship with him. And those things bring a happiness that is not to be described, nor is it to be underestimated. Um, God does want us to be happy, but he, he wants us to be whole first. Because without us being whole, we can't really appreciate or receive the full happiness that he intends to give us. 
And so, at any rate, after giving up Bob, uh, the question remained and still does remain in my mind and my heart today, will God make me happy in this life? And does he want us to be happy? And what can we say or assume of him when he doesn't answer our prayers? You know, when he doesn't, when we're just miserable because of the things that we've given up for him. So I've been reading um, Gregory Popchak's, it's P-O-P-C-A-K, his book called The Life God Wants You to Have. And it's really good. And I'm just trying, it's helping me kind of work through these questions and some others. And this pop check makes a really good point. Um, and, and that is just what I've said is that God is not opposed to anything that will make me happy or will fulfill me. He wants that. He wants my happiness and my personal fulfillment. But first of all, he's a parent. Jesus taught us to call God our father. So there is that parent child relationship. And so when I tell him, father, Bob is what I want. Bob is who will make me a happy and fulfilled woman. I am meant to be Bob's wife. And if he doesn't agree and he doesn't give that to me and I suffer and I ache and I'm not happy and I wonder how could he really be good after all, God, if he's demanding me to live in such a way that's denying me of things and people and relationships that I think would definitely make me more happy and more satisfied and more fulfilled. How cruel of him. And then I throw, you know, a pity party and I just like, you know, in my soul, it feels like I'm like the teenage girl, like slamming her door and being like, I hate you. Like, this is not what I wanted. Anyway, so I could read Pop Jack's book to you aloud. I'm not going to put you through that, but it is good. Um, But essentially, anything that may get in the way of me being a perfectly whole and integrated person is going to be against God's will for me because he wants me to be happy. And the only way that I can be perfectly happy is if I am perfectly whole first. So we, he and I, he is in the process of getting me there. And it's hard, you know, it's hard too because you see him like fulfilling other people's desires too. Like it's not easy being that one person in church and like you're surrounded by like young families and babies and like moms and dads and you're like, oh, why is that not me? Like, why am I so, what did I do so wrong, God, that like you're ignoring me? Um, But anyways, I will say, um, I think God teaches us how to reach that state of perfect wholeness by giving us the gym as a parallel. And I know this is kind of random, but we all know that for that perfect muscle formation and to be really shredded or whatever to get the glutes of your goals, we have to go every day. It has to be habitual. We have to sweat. We have to cry. Uh, Most of the time we don't want to go. And definitely overall, it takes a long time to see results. And yet we get there in the end. And our souls... The core of who we are is the exact same way. It's made by the same one who developed the system by which our bodies become strong and fit and in shape. We have to work. And so for our bodies, we work in the gym. And for our souls, we work in prayer. We work in those choices that we make every day, you know, for Christ. And the work is formational. It changes us. It changes us in ways that we do not see day to day. Do not expect to wake up tomorrow with a halo, okay? Or a six pack for that matter. Um, All you're going to see is soreness and pain, Um, both physically in the gym and then, you know, maybe heart wise too, right? Like after you make some choices for Christ, you may really be sore and you may be like, ugh, ugh, can't move, can't breathe, never doing that again. 
But there are changes, on, especially because you don't see the results, you know, when you wake up immediately. But there are changes on micro levels that with time become macro. They become visible. But it is a painful process. It requires dedication. And you really, you have to believe in where you're going. You have to believe that at the end, you are going to get there. Because otherwise, you won't make it through the process. You'll be like, why am I doing this? This is too painful. And that's why I tell people, like, really understand your faith. Understand why you believe what you believe. Because otherwise, you're going to fall off on the wayside. It's just like, you know, when trouble comes and when you don't feel like going to the gym and whatever, like, you just won't do it then. It's that simple. Unless you really have a good vision of, of what you know you want to arrive at and why you believe it's so valuable to arrive at that point. So yeah, I know this episode had a lot of random stuff in it and in my mind it was all connected and then it came out and it may or may not have come out connected. (laughs) But what I wanted to let you know most of all is don't be afraid of your moment of quarantine, of your test, of your Mount Quarantania and don't let anything get in the way of you and your father because you know who you serve. You know what you were made to do. And it's not worth it to serve anything else or to do anything else. It's simply not. And I will say, one of the things that has made me most happy after that moment of giving up, dear Bob, is the deepening of my relationship with God that has come after giving him up, giving up that thing that was best in my life. And what again, in my darker moments, I'm like, God, well, I'll never have that again. Like he was perfect and he was my one chance at happiness, but whatever. Um... (laughs) Because now in my prayer, I can look at God figuratively and be like, um, so listen, I really love you. And I haven't just said it. I've proved it to you. And almost more importantly, I've proved it to myself. Like, I know that I love you. Um, if you want to know who loves you, Lord, look at me sitting here alone, no one by my side, completely single, because apparently the path to following you is actually so freaking straight and narrow that there's no room for anyone but me, um, and it sucks, and I'm not happy, but I am here, okay? And sometimes that's all that can be said for following Christ. Like, you may not be happy at the moment, but just like, as long as you're there, just just show up. Um, and then, yeah. I've just kind of been telling him, I believe, I believe, like not because I feel that way, but because I'm choosing to believe that way, that in you is the only lasting fulfillment to be found. And I know from experience that what isn't from you is not going to satisfy me. It's not going to be as good as I think it is. It's not going to be long term. It's not going to be whole and complete. And I want to be whole. I want to be who I was meant to be. I want to fulfill my mission. I want to be the whole Kelsey, not a half or a quarter of who that woman is meant to be and who she really is. I want to grow to my full spiritual stature. And, you know, part of that is just being aware, like there are growing pains. Um, and you are really sore after after those spiritual workouts that sometimes, you know, following Christ, I guess, basically is. Um, and something I told God is, um, is look like figuratively speaking, there are a lot of people willing to feed me, but I've decided to starve until you feed me yourself. I will only take what you give me. 
I will starve before I eat from another hand, from a hand that isn't yours. So right now I'm going hungry for love. I'm going hungry for that relationship. I'm going hungry for the embrace of, you know, someone that I love. Right. Um, and, and it hurts. And I'm, like I said, I'm hungry, but, um, I've like, you have to make that choice of like, well, I'm just going to starve then until you feed me, because that's how much I believe that you will feed me, that you will satisfy me, that you are who you say you are. And if you aren't, count me out for being a Christian. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not making these sacrifices for something that's just BS, okay? But I really don't believe it's BS. I really believe it's legitimate. Um, Something I love, a quote from Teresa of Avila. She said, I can die, but I cannot be conquered. So if you are out there and you are lonely and miserable and single or just whatever it is that you're suffering from for the sake of Christ and trying to follow him, just FYI, you're doing great. Like you may be miserable, but you are on the path. You're looking good. Strong work. Nice job. Um, Hold on, essentially. Keep the faith and stay the course because God is faithful and he's testing you. And he cannot be outdone in generosity or in love. So whatever you're giving up for him will be returned to you a thousand times more. And those tears that you drop when you think you're alone and when you think you're unseen are seen by him and counted by him. And they are precious to him because they're a testimony to the love that you have for him, even though you don't see him face to face.